0: it's tracy and alex is here with another episode of truth lies and cover-ups alex my super producer how are (laughs) you
1: i'm back thanks for having me i'm doing great
0: oh good good well um there's been some excitement lately then there's controversy already coming out of it
1: are you talking about uvalde already Mm -hmm. i told you i wasn't going to bring that up but you know i lied
0: i know I know yep. when you like Let's That's not I, I do.
1: don't want to get into there's so much to unpack with Uvalde well, and we don't it, even know what happened at this We don't point.
0: know what happened yet, but I'm telling you as soon as I can find out I'm going to find out because there, there was something gone wrong in Uvalde and Yeah, at
1: this point people are too many people are trying to cover their tracks and we don't really know what it was. Yeah. Um yeah, but this reminds me of that school resource officer down in Florida who just didn't even want to go in. It's like no, nah, they're shooting in there, I'm not going in.
0: Yeah, so I you know what? We're going to find out. And as soon as we can, I'm going to interview somebody on it. But, you know, you know, um, before, you know, you know, who we should just send in to deal with it. Who? My guest today, Peter Warmka.
1: He's a spy, isn't he?
0: Well, he was. He okay. accidentally became a CIA spy.
1: And how does that accidentally happen?
0: He's well, he's going to talk about it, but he sent in a resume and the resume uh, employment place was. Kind of working for the CIA. <laughs>
1: they, oh, didn't really? him, yeah.
0: <laughs> they didn't tell him, He thought it was a banking job.
1: <laughs> so wait a minute. He got recruited, and so I guess he didn't have to spend the you know the six weeks at the farm the way that you know so many of them. No, do, well but. he
0: did. He spent quite a bit of time, but he didn't really know what he was interviewing for for quite a long time. And and he talks about he talks about how to get how to target specific insiders and exploit their vulnerabilities to gain sensitive. Info. This will work in any in any area of life. And he tells us exactly how to do it.
1: Wow. So we can learn how to do this and then go out and do it ourselves?
0: Yeah, you can learn how to be a spy.
1: This is fantastic. I want to exploit some people's weaknesses. Who who
0: wouldn't want to learn to be a spy? And uh, but yeah, this is what he's and and he's out there teaching right now. And he has a new book,
1: Confessions
0: Confessions of a CIA spy. Yeah.
1: Huh. And uh so where where is he teaching these courses?
0: He has his institute that that he teaches, yeah.
1: Well, that's fascinating.
0: I know he and, and he's so nice and he's just the kind of guy who would get you talking and keep you. He's, he's the, you'd never know.
1: I think that's part of the plan, isn't it?
0: Well, it is. He doesn't have like an overcoat and a hat or anything like, <laughs> like,
1: like, like
0: he, he was wearing like, like one of those Cuban shirts when we when we interviewed just a huh. regular guy on the street. Yeah,
1: I don't think there are any are there are any spies out there that are still walking around in like the Stetson and the, and the overcoat like i think that you might as well just wear the you know the nylon windbreaker that says cia on the back of it <laughs> maybe <so. laughs> or just spy just spy that's all you do and you, you know smaller little spy with it with a badge up on the um you know on the chest plate well he of, might of have, he
0: probably gave his to goodwill
1: <laughs> probably <laughs> did oh <my> God. <laughs> hey all should right. we go listen to him now
0: let's listen to peter let's do it okay bye it's Tracy, and I have a super cool guest today on Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. Peter Warmka is here, and y'all, I gotta tell you, uh, I told him just a minute ago, I was just a little nervous about this interview, and I'm sure it's the way people feel when they're talking to me, and I'm a body language expert. Peter was a CIA spy, and that is Central Intelligence... Um, agency for the u.s he was a spy in other countries and so uh peter how'd you get recruited to be a spy like i would love to be recruited to be a spy i don't think it's going to happen What? how did this go down
2: well tracy to be honest with you that was the furthest far furthest out in my plan of even working for the the government oh. when i graduated uh, um, my degrees were in liberal arts, and then in uh, international business management. I plan to work first of all international banking, which I did in Miami, uh-huh. and and I wanted to work in, I wanted to work overseas. I wanted to work in Latin America. That's kind of my goal, and so I thought, well, that would be the best way through initially through business, and that was my game plan, and. Make a long story short. I was working at a bank. Things were going pretty well, but I was getting itchy elbows, and I started to look at other opportunities. I interviewed with other other banks, hoping that I would uh, land a, a better job, not just pay better pay, but more opportunities, especially uh-huh. to be sent overseas by them. I came across this advertisement in, um, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, actually. Oh. And I had nothing to do. It didn't say anything about. You know, CIA <laughs> You know, and it, but it was very intriguing because it, it was like an investment group that was looking for individuals who had, you know, background in in economics or uh, who had lived, worked overseas, spoke foreign languages, etc., and understood, you know, the business environments in those countries as well. And so I decided, look, let me throw my, uh, you know, my ring into the hat, my hat into the ring, head into the ring, sorry, into the ring. Yes, yeah. And so I, uh, I, I sent. My resume in
0: uh-huh.
2: then i received this letter saying that they wanted to forward my resume to a client in the u.s government oh i said this sounds hokey uh-huh. they wanted me to authorize them to forward the resume and i thought i mean i have no interest in working for the for the federal government so yeah. i didn't and it sounds sound so weird it sound, so low, i didn't government uh,
0: work sounds boring too
2: i know exactly and, and low paying, right i mean yeah yeah the private sector is much more attractive and, uh, so I ignored it. I put it underneath my nightstand, uh, maybe a month or two months later, my wife asked me whatever happened to that letter. And I said, well, I didn't act upon it. It's, it's there because I, I mean, it was just really weird. She said, well, you know, send it in, send it in. Cause I had to sign it to authorize them supposedly to forward my resume to the, uh, to the government, un- unnamed government client. Uh, so I signed it, sent it in and literally within three weeks, I was coming back from work one day at uh, 5.30 in the afternoon. My wife told me, someone called you from Washington. And I said, who? Why? They wouldn't say. Oh, they're going to call you back. They asked me what time I would be home. And I said about six by six, you're home. And so they're calling back at exactly six. And sure enough, at exactly six, of course, we have landlines only then, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, This goes back quite a few years. The phone rang and I answered it. And the individual identified themselves as coming from the CIA. Oh, like whoa, and they wouldn't tell me very much. They were more on the they were more on the receive end than the give end. But they told me that there were you know opportunities to work overseas on on behalf of them. A lot of different opportunities because the organization's big. Um, but they were trying to trying to feel me out whether or not I would qualify from the standpoint of uh, you know my background if I would actually be able to get a security clearance. Yeah. You know, so that entailed you know. If I had any, you know, any felonies or any other criminal, you know, sure. past that could be of concern, drug use, uh, even your sexual orientation back then uh-huh. was an issue of concern. So they would they asked me all these questions. And um, basically the interview went on for you know, It was an interview kind of right. I, t- I telephoned for about an hour. Uh-huh. And then they said, if you're interested in we will send you out a packet of uh, forms to fill out. A lot of biographic information and psychological assessment forms. They sent they fed it sent it to me by FedEx, and literally it was like it was like this like two two or Too three pounds of documents. Wow! I filled it out, sent it back, and then one day I received a phone call at my office saying, "We need you to come for for a meeting an interview." Okay, great, right? Yeah. Uh, they set up the interview at a hotel room. I arrived. This gentleman knocked on the door. He told me. Um, before we can tell you anything, you will need to sit down for a polygraph.
0: Oh wow! So how'd so that go? They,
2: they give me a number, and you know, in the same hotel but a different room. Go there, and uh, you will conduct a polygraph, and then I'll talk to you later. So I go down there, knock on the door, and they got the chair, and they wire me up. Yeah, I had taken one before because I worked for a security company a few years before okay. that, so I knew kind of like you know, it wasn't the first time I took one, but it's still kind of eerie, you know. They asked about four different questions. Uh, it lasted about a half an hour, 35 minutes uh-huh. and we finished. And I said, I asked the guy, how did I do? And he said, they'll tell you, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I went back to my room. The first gentleman arrived and said, congratulations. you, uh, you passed the poly and now we can tell you about, you know, the opportunity. So they outlined a, a, a couple of different opportunities or areas. I can't go into detail about what those specifics were, but oh they darn said, it, he said, um, <laughs> if you are interested now in going through the formal application process, I mean, you already applied, but now there's going to be a series of interviews. Well, have you come back with your wife? And so I said, sure. And so we came back uh, maybe a month or two later with my wife Mm -hmm. and we sat uh, through uh, five days of individuals that came to our hotel room, you know, it's like clockwork every hour, somebody else would come and they interviewed us and uh, we went back home and then i got a telephone call saying can you come back but only you
0: not oh, your wife okay
2: and so i came back and we sat down on a, in, in my hotel room the, the meetings were always in my hotel room and it came in a guy that was sort of the referent and a psychologist and a psychiatrist and he said they told me you know there's a few issues here we think you would be a perfect fit for this job we have doubts about you have concerns about your wife and i'm thinking what did they find out? Maybe my wife is an undercover spy for Russia, or I don't know. Oh, <laughs> my wow. Wife, my wife is from El Salvador. We, and, oh. you know, we have been married already for years. And so uh-huh. she grew up in El Salvador, became a naturalized U.S. citizen. But they were saying, we have concerns about whether or not she could handle living overseas. And I looked at them in the eye and I said, you got to be kidding me. She has grown up overseas. She's lived through a country that's gone through severe, you know, Civil War, yeah. saw death on the street or you know uh, power outages every single day. I mean, she is more qualified and capable of living overseas than I am. And they said, "Well, okay, okay, uh, we're going to have a meeting later on today. Call us after two P- call us at 2 p.m and we'll give you our response about whether or not you're uh, we accepted. So I'm very nervous, you know what am I going to do? I got these jitters, and I go, I go to the movie theater to watch a movie just to kill time. Uh-huh. At exactly two o'clock, I find a pay phone. You know that's funny.
1: Way oh wow, going.
0: this was a while ago.
2: Okay, it is a while ago. <laughs> like superman trying you know, to pay
0: phone.
2: I put in the fifty cents, whatever it, the case may be, and I called in, and I'm just so nervous. And they say, "Congratulations, you have been accepted, and you can start start our training program." Um, this was back. Uh, this took place in October of two. Of ni- I'm sorry, October of 1986. Okay, the training program was going to start in January of '87. So that's how I. Uh, that's how I started. I. I never once again, plan to work for the CIA, nor, no, you know, not, uh-huh. not the US government at all, but it has been an outstanding career, uh, really, really learned a lot. And I served in many countries, I traveled to over, worked and traveled to over 56 countries in, my, wow. in over two, two decades with the, with the Central Intelligence Agency. And what I, you know, I kind of equate this to, um, my career for the most part was receiving requirements, from Langley, from headquarters, to collect intelligence okay. that would be used by policymakers to make better informed decisions. So when we talk about intelligence, we're talking about non-public information, uh-huh. right? It's closely held and very difficult to get. And I would have to find out what organizations, uh, entities, or departments say of the foreign government had that information that we were trying to acquire. Wow, okay. And more importantly, who within those organizations had that access, you know, who could facilitate access to that information. They became my targeted insiders. So I looked for insiders in, in organizations and then attempted to manipulate them through human hacking or social engineering and, and, and to utilize them to actually reach the security of the organizations that they were working for to uh, complete my objectives.
0: Okay. So let's talk about that. Okay. Cause you skipped over that part about your training. So, and maybe you can't say a lot and that is totally cool, but like, what, what is day one? Like, and does the word spy ever like get said, or is it, I mean, are you just like, like t- tell us about that? Like what, what really happens?
2: Well, I mean, the, the training is, it- it's it's pretty extensive the the length of the training and it covers a lot of different things. Uh-huh. I think, uh, but but as far as the terminology, it's it's sort of the terminology spy the the, the recognition um, acknowledgement that you're working for the CIA. I mean, those those words are not are not really said after maybe being mentioned once, and yeah. uh, it's only when we come out, you know, later, and if we're able to come out and say who we work for, that then we when we first begin to talk about oh. I work for the CIA. The first it was like really weird for myself and especially my wife to be able to say that we had any affiliation with the CIA at all. Until we, you know, we came from from working undercover and became, you know, um, de- declared officially uh, working for them at the very you know latter part of my career. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, we it, we it, we tend to try to blend our lives as much as possible uh, into our you know any sort of like undercover status. Because if you were to go overseas and say, I work for the CIA, no one's going I mean, good luck. Everybody's going to run from you. The only way for you to accomplish your mission really is to work undercover where the individuals that you approach have no idea whatsoever that you are working as an intelligence officer. So we have to, we really have to work on building a cover, uh, representing our cover, representing the, you know, the entity organization that we are working for, uh, and but we still we still regardless receive the same training across the board of how to effectively uh, undertake intelligence operations. You know, for the most part, um, we're all out there when we're deployed overseas to spot, assess, develop, and recruit sources. I refer to them as insiders right okay. that can provide us with information and then to actually handle those sources for you know an extended period of time while while, while they maintain a relationship um with the CIA through uh, the case officer ourselves we're, we're considered case officers okay. that's the terminology that's utilized we're not considered agents all right we're Aww. not a CIA agent the actual agent you know many times it's, it's going to be the source that's what we referred to as who's the agent for on behalf of okay. uh, who's working, but we're the case officers who are managing these agents or these sources.
0: Okay. Okay. So that's interesting. Cause I have so many questions. Cause I told you, I held up the, uh, the book, this is Peter's book, confessions of a spy. And you can see all my tags in here of things that are just fascinating. So, okay. So let's, let's talk about this in, in, cause what you said kind of, um, bumps up against something that I that I guess I kind of glean from this is so you're talking about are you getting sources that know that they're sources or do they not know that they're sources
2: well there's different levels of sources you, you know you will hardly ever I mean I, I, I can't say that there's not cases of this because maybe uh in some areas of the world there they might know right away that they if they agree to work they know they are working for the CIA, mm-hmm. but many times they, they they will believe that they're working for, um, you know, maybe the State Department or some other agency of the, of the federal government, mm-hmm. or maybe they believe they're working for some commercial entity, it's not even the U.S. government, mm-hmm. or maybe it's even a false flag. And these are when I say false flag, is that and not only they don't know that they're working for the U.S. government, they might not even know they're working for uh, a U.S. entity. A false flag could be believing they're working for a foreign government or a foreign entity, right? So there's different levels of, of, of say false flags. So, but they know, they all know that they are providing information
0: uh-huh. that's
2: non-public, that's very sensitive, and that they should not be providing that. And some of them fully realize that what they are doing is conducting uh, espionage. You know, the, okay. the degree of how serious it is it's going to be different in different people's minds. Maybe if they believe it's going to the CIA, they feel this is definitely espionage. If it's going to another area in the government, maybe less serious. If it's going to a commercial entity, uh, maybe even less. But they know that they're providing information that they shouldn't be. That's that's non-public information. That's going to be a benefit to another party. and could be potentially detrimental to their organization that they're working for.
0: Wow. Okay. So then one of the things that, that you mentioned in your book that I underlined are how to pick out targets that are susceptible to manipulation so what's your checklist there how do you like are are you are you mm-hmm. posing as someone that has a a job and you're just kind of you bumped into them at a coffee shop or i mean because spies don't wear overcoats and, and hats you know like inspector gadget looking like that that's not a thing <laughs> right so t- like can you take us through how that comes together
2: well there's two different things there's 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 actually going after identified targets uh-huh. and trying to get into their network. Try to get into you know get into their proximity proximity and uh, being able to meet them, develop uh-huh. a relationship with them. Uh, there's also targets of opportunity where you go. You know we call it going trolling, right? Or going to an event yeah. where you highly suspect that there could be people of interest. Uh, maybe you know people of a particular organization are going to be there. You don't know exactly who is going to be there, but but you're hoping to meet somebody at that particular event it could be a conference, right.
0: Yeah. Or uh,
2: you know, a cocktail, um, Yeah. Uh, whatever the case may be. And you bump into them and you bump, you know, technically bump into them, but you you're all ready to engage them in a conversation and try to develop a, a relationship with them in the, in the sense of someone who they feel comfortable to speaking with and, and uh, learning a lot about them in the process. We, we, I think in the, in the book, there's a chapter that talks about in detail, the art of elicitation. Yeah, okay. yeah,
0: yeah, I uh, I have that flag. So let's talk about that.
2: The elicitation is such a cool art form, it is an art form. Yeah. And not only used by intelligence officers, there's a lot of individuals and in other careers who can use elicitation and some do it very effectively. And there's other ones that I think if they have an understanding of it, could utilize it in their career, as well as try to protect themselves from someone who is using elicitation on them when they might not realize it basically elicitation. Well, there's, there's basically three forms that we can get information on, right? Try to extract information from somebody. It could be interrogation, yep. which is the most hostile. Right. And interrogation in you know, people in people's minds, it might take the form of, you know, being under this hot lamp, yeah. being sleep deprived, you know, putting your, 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 your fingers in some kind of device to put the pressure on whatever the case may be. And yes. it's kind of like, um, it's, it's hostile. And individuals know who's asking the questions and they decide whether or not they're what they're going to say, if uh-huh. anything, or they might even get false information. Then there's the interviews, right? You know the purpose of someone asking you some questions. Maybe it's a job interview. Maybe uh-huh. it's someone that's conducting a security interview in your company. Maybe there was a security incident, but you know this person's in a position of authority and you decide what you're going to share with them. But then elicitation is the case. Where you're not aware, you you don't necessarily know that this person you're speaking with uh, is attempting to get this information from you. It appears to be a very casual yeah. conversation, and this individual who you're meeting, they might not really be who they say they are. You know who they who mm-hmm. they really represent, but they are leading you along in a series of topics. It's almost like a whiteboarded in advance. These are the areas of information that I wanna get from you. And it might be sensitive information regarding your background, or it might be information about the organization that you work for. So there's about 20 different techniques, specific techniques of how to lead that conversation along. And once we get the, the topic going, just shut up and get let the person speak. Yeah. Let them talk, people love to talk, especially, especially Americans, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, this way we're able to extract information that the individual doesn't even, they're not really even aware that they've provided so much information, you know, after a 45 minute or an hour conversation and a lot of the stuff that we've got is, is pretty sensitive. And uh, the individuals just feel that it's a very pleasant conversation. They can't wait for the next opportunity to get together. You know, usually it's in a, it's in a nice setting. Maybe we're, we're out for coffee, we're having a drink, we're out for lunch, or maybe we're up, you know, golfing yeah. or whatever, you, you, you know, it's a n- non-threatening situation, but we're able to really, uh, get a lot of information from the individual. So we, you know, in, in, this is when we meet somebody when we're trying to size them up for two things. We want to, we want to understand their access. Mm-hmm. What is the access that they have to, uh, to information that could be of interest to us? And what is the possibility that we can have access to them? How can we develop a relationship with them that they will trust us? you know, mm-hmm. and they will put all their trust in us. They'll trust us more than anybody else to the point of eventually working with us and providing, you know, uh, helping us out with a project that we need this information for, or, you know, we, we, look at when we study the individual individuals, we have to really understand what are their motivations and what are their vulnerabilities, right? Yeah. I,
0: I, I flagged that too. So, How are you? And I'm I'm sure you're weaving this into conversation because you're not going to sit them down and say, hey, can you take this assessment? Like, so what are what are you looking at for 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 that?
2: Well, you get a kind of of an idea of like what what are their goals in life? I mean, right Mm -hmm. now is is uh, their career, career advancement really important Mm -hmm. Uh, or is it, you know, their family? They got they got young kids. Uh, are there any like medical conditions of the kids where they might need extra money to pay for Got for it. medical care of them or their aging parents? Mm-hmm. Uh, would they like to send their kids to better schools? Would they like to be able to buy a nice house? Uh, kind of like what is their you know their financial status and what might be their financial goals? Might, might there's a lot of different things that can motivate people, but many times it's going to be money and what money mm-hmm. can do, you know, mm-hmm. what money can buy. Um, but sometimes it might not have anything to do with money. Maybe it's Maybe it's ideology. In some parts of the world, ideology is so important. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, or maybe even uh, politics could be uh, or there's even, believe it or not, there are these people that are motivated by excitement. They love to live on the on the edge. They would love to work for or work with James Bond, You know, take those risks and feel like they're, they're they're involved in espionage. Believe it or not, there are people like that. Oh, but yeah. I mean, I, I've this-
0: had him on my on my show. Do you know uh, Jack Barsky?
2: I do, actually. I I actually, I mean, we've been in contact for a while off and on. I was introduced to him through someone else, but I actually met him in person about three weeks ago at at an event on the West Coast. So oh, that wow. Fantastic individual. Yeah. yeah.
0: We we went out to dinner in um after he was on the show, we went out to dinner in Atlanta probably a little more than a month ago. Mm-hmm. And, and I just gotta tell this story because you'll understand it. Because he was KGB spy. Yes. And um he managed to get out of that business, which is pretty hard to do. But he uh he's talking about Putin and how uh you know he knew Putin's boss and how uh, what he thought of Putin, like before the Ukraine and after the Ukraine. And he's saying some stuff that like it's nothing. And, and I'm <laughs> and I'm thinking, is our food going to be poisoned? Like, I don't know exactly <laughs> what's coming down uh, out of the out of the kitchen here. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting fella. So but he was one motivated by excitement.
2: Yes, he was. I think I you mean know, in myself in my career uh, I really enjoyed the excitement I enjoyed the challenges
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know in addition to service you know service to our country of course but it was you know one of the things that for me was live, you know being able to live overseas was always my goal and mm-hmm. I and you know, I spent over twenty years of my career actually living overseas so it, it fulfilled a lot of different things for me but in my book I focus more on the I mean it, of course it can apply to anybody but when we're looking at sizing up. Potential sources, Mm -hmm. identifying what motivations are are in their lives that we might be able to you know leverage, Mm -hmm. and what are the vulnerabilities that we might be able to leverage as well. All of us have motivations and vulnerabilities, and I think two. I mean, I'll just highlight three vulnerabilities. Okay. The first one at the very top of the list is money, and that's usually you know not someone with an abundance of money, but someone that's suffering from financial duress. We all know what that might look like, whether we've suffered that directly, or we know people that have gone through that. When you don't know how you're going to pay next month's mortgage or the rent. I mean, that's gut wrenching. It is. That creates lots of stress that creates problems in our relationships. It can lead to divorce. It can lead to addictions, drinking, drug addiction, uh, gambling, et cetera. But there's other types of vulnerabilities that can also play into revenge, right? Oh, really? People okay. people that hate. Believe it or not, there are people out there, maybe some of your listeners, hopefully not very many, but there are people out there who despise the companies that they work for. They hate their companies. They especially hate the people who are their supervisors. And if given the opportunity to get back at them, you know, and oh. presented with that possibility, that opportunity, they're likely to take, take advantage of that. Another vulnerability that's just huge is ego. Okay. There are people that believe they're smarter than everybody else, especially people that they report to, their bosses uh-huh. or the owners of the company or whatever. And if challenged to prove it, they are likely to undertake that challenge to show that huh. they're smarter okay. than everybody else. So, I mean, these are different things that we learn about when we are with some We don't learn about this in you know necessarily in a one-time meeting. It might take a period of time, but what I, what I really wanted to emphasize in my book that, you know, the psychology of this business has not changed.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It has not changed. And I refer to it as human hacking. We're hacking humans to manipulate them uh, to achieve our objectives. But the, so the psychology has not changed, but the technology is continuously evolving. So while I no longer, if I were, you know, actively in, in that game, I no longer would have to go out there and go to events like conferences or trade shows or cocktails to try to meet people, I could just get on social media and I can select my targets. I think if you 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 read the book, so the number one social media site for actually spotting targeting is going to be LinkedIn because there I can do searches to say, I wanted to target a specific, let's say company or entity. Uh Uh And probably a number of people who work for that organization are going to have LinkedIn profiles. So I can do a search on the upper left-hand corner of uh, LinkedIn and look for that co- name of that company and position, or and, and you know, and I can pull up. You know, it depends on the size of the organization. It could be thousands of people, uh-huh. but I can whittle that down to a more you know mm-hmm. manageable uh, set where maybe it's the name of, maybe it's the p- company, the geographic location where they are, the position that they have maybe even the university that they went to. And so I can I work this down into a, a list, a target list of potential uh, insider targets. And then like in the old in the old times, we would have to get together with them, right? As I mentioned, yeah. we meet with them over a period of time, garner their trust, little by little, you know, you information from them, get to know their motivations and vulnerabilities. Don't have to do that. Don't have to do that. I don't have to expose myself to anybody, you know? I can be behind a computer screen and I can look at their social media profiles, And I can get a lot of the same information in a fraction of the amount of time by looking at their LinkedIn page, their Facebook page, their their Twitter account, their Instagram. These are all invaluable resources for the uh, the spies of today or the human hackers of today where we can develop that personality profile to know what buttons we can push if you want to manipulate this person to do something for us
0: oh yeah now i almost had you do that for me for the show to see what you could find out i was too scared to do it <laughs> so.
2: well i do though because i give uh i spend a lot of my time and one thing i love to do is go out there and speak to the public uh-huh. companies will contract me to give presentations sure. to their i know to to their officers sometimes even intense uh, training i mm-hmm. do full-day workshops at different clients' uh, locations. What I do though, is sometimes in advance of a conference, if I'm doing, especially if I'm doing a keynote, I, you know, with the approval of the of the organizer, I will send out invitations, connection invitations. I, I develop avatars uh-huh. on social media and I can send out an invitation to individuals who have LinkedIn accounts who are gonna be in the audience uh-huh. and see whether or not they're gonna connect to this avatar, all right? Even though many people will say, oh, I don't connect with people that I don't know uh-huh. in reality, it's around fifty-four percent of people who who are given or who receive this in, you know invitation request, yes. they, w- they will connect fifty-four percent. Then I will you know the avatar will engage them in a conversation you know because almost all of these social media platforms have messaging features. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. You know if we talk about phishing or spear phishing, just as an email can have a malicious link to be clicked on or a malicious attachment to be open, these social media. You know, messaging platforms have the same thing. They can do the same uh-huh. thing, but people tend to trust them more. So what I will do then is when these people connect, engage them in a dialogue and then send them an attachment uh-huh. okay, and entice them to open up that attachment for, because you know, whatever the scenario is, that's always tailored to the group that I know these individuals might have interest in. And it is not malicious when I do it, but uh-huh. it set up that it's, it's a corrupted file and people will know something went wrong uh and i find believe it or not believe it or not individuals including security professionals that when they try to open up the attachment it doesn't open they will send a message back to the avatar saying so sorry unable to open the attachment can you resend it again uh-huh. to, my personal, to my personal email address uh-huh give me a break wow Wait. yeah so people are very susceptible um people have no idea i mean. There's a bit of a threshold. People understand some basic fishing, uh-huh. you know, dangers regarding that. And maybe even received some training
0: uh-huh.
2: uh, regarding basic fishing. but they have no idea regarding the level of sophisticated spear fishing that's out there today, where they can be targeted through emails. They can be targeted through SMS to text messages yeah, yeah. Or, or telephone calls, fishing uh, telephone calls. And this is only expanding exponentially now with uh, the advent of, it's not in my book but i'm focusing more and more on deep fake technology oh my deepfake.
0: gosh yes yeah that deep fake stuff um cuz you know i'm a body language expert and when i uh saw my first uh deep fake video i was like oh cuz i couldn't tell i and i was like oh my gosh this is trouble and if i can't tell it's really good <laughs> so, oh i know
2: and uh, the thing is these deep fakes, is, I mean, they're evolving and uh-huh. some of them are getting really, really good. But for most of the videos, you know, it's not instantaneous. It takes hours and hours and hours to produce some of these videos. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's going, you know, and, and and probably only individuals right now that are going to be able to be uh, faked, let's say, are ones that have a lot of information, a lot of examples out there, videos mm-hmm. of them out in the public space, right? But what I consider more of as an interim uh, or me- immediate danger uh-huh. is not so much the videos, but the audio there've already been cases. I know you, 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 look a lot into the, you know, cases of fraud and there yeah. were, and I'm a certified fraud examiner. And I, I follow this topic a lot. Sure. There were two cases. I don't know if you've heard about them. One goes back to 2019 and the other one is 2020 where the fraudsters were able to clone the voice of the, in, uh, you know, what appeared to be the incoming Uh, you know, call the boss. Uh For example, 2019, there was the case of a CEO working for a UK energy company who received a phone call, which appeared to be coming from his boss, which was a German parent company. Uh His boss, I mean, it it was, it was calling, it was coming from him, a caller ID as well, which was spoofed as well as the voice sounded just like his boss. It it told him he needed to make it an urgent wire transfer in the amount of 220,000 euros uh-huh. to a Hungarian supplier. Now, this is a, a supplier that they had used in the past, but he, you know, he, he provided the information, the account number and everything that wire transfer was made. Now, the goal of these fraudsters, they even went back and made another call to the CEO, to the same CEO and said, listen, the money was sent back. It didn't go through. Can you send it again? Oh, man. And the third time, they call but at that time finally the CEO who received the call was suspicious because he saw that the caller ID appeared to be coming from I think it was Australia uh-huh. or Austria. it was not it was not coming in from Germany so that was like whoa something that's definitely you know fishy about this. money um, wow. was lost. The second case was even worse. 2020, a bank manager in Hong Kong received call from who he believed was his client. Uh-huh. Based in the UAE, and his client was said that he needed 35 million dollars transferred from the account to cover various acquisitions. And of course, it was it was coming in from the UAE. The call appeared to be coming in from the UAE uh-huh. from the uh-huh. client. It was also the voice of the client, and uh, there was also additional emails that were manufactured that looked to appear coming in from or communication between mm-hmm. the client and his attorney to substantiating these transactions that were going to be taking place. So. You know the uh, Hong Kong bank manager trusted it. You know, yeah. And and, and they sent the money out thirty-five million dollars. The of course the the uh, UAE client. Where does this money go? They launched a big investigation. Uh, UAE authorities got involved in this. They were able to track down, at least they were able to track down four hundred thousand U.S. dollars. Oh. that was still in an account in the U.S. in Centennial Bank, and so they were able to retrieve that money. But the rest of the thirty-five million, uh-huh. I don't know. But these are two examples of, of cases that recently happened. And you can understand the magnitude, you know, yeah. because people think, well, not only is this call coming in from a number I recognize, but it's the, it's, it's the boss. It's the voice of my boss. Uh-huh. And I got, you know, it's a person in authority. Why am I going to second guess it? Why am I going to question it? This is the danger of deep fakes combining, you know, being used for, you know, for human hacking and scams. It's, it is very serious and very few people are aware of it.
0: Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know about deep fake voice stuff. So yikes, that is creepy. Um, Totally creepy. Okay. So I have another question. Sure. Uh, You said that designing your pretext, I guess for your spy character, let's call it that, or I don't know what the official word is. That was your favorite part. And I think that that could be, could break down easily when you get under stress in a certain situation. Like, can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Well, I mean, uh, when you normally, when you first meet somebody, it's a, you don't, you don't like they go, you don't go for the kill. I mean, not right. that literally, you don't go in and say, Hey, you can help me with X, Y, Z. It's sort of like after you develop a bit of a relationship with them. And you say, listen, you know, there isn't this opportunity, something that I'm working on uh-huh. uh, with a particular, you know, in the office or with, you know, within, within the U.S. government, or uh-huh. maybe it's a, it's a project that's come up with a, with a big investor, you know, uh-huh. or a, and they're looking for some of this insight information, insight, in, you know, insight. And we can, you know, there's many different ways that can take place, but it could be like, hey, I'm already working with them. I I have a a team, a small team of people that are helping me in different areas, but you, because of the position that you have, you have insight into something that we don't have right now, but that could be really great. You can work with us. Uh You can work with me. You know, we all have our different strategies of how we, you know, we do this, you know, instead of saying, well, I can put you in touch with somebody. uh, A lot of times my particular ploy would be, I'm working on this project right now. And uh, because they would, you know, at this point they've developed trust in me. Uh They believe what I'm saying. They believe that I, you know, if we set up an arrangement where they're giving me information, I'm going to make sure that that um, you know it's not disclosed. Uh You know, we're going to be non disclosure, uh, all you know, all the way. Um, And so they they feel relatively comfortable with that. You know, whether they believe it's going to a commercial entity or going to to the U.S. State Department or going to some other you know department within the government, typically you're not going to say, hey. I'm working I would never say, I never have said I'm working with the, the CIA on sure, this. sure.
0: But you, you must have had to like fake your background a little bit and and like well I mean like there's who there's you are, you, right
2: you, you I mean you're always stretching things about us, you know what, what what you have expertise in and what you've worked in and uh-huh. sometimes you have to augment that by actually getting additional training.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Uh you know, whether it's sponsored directly by you know, our agency, I mean, sponsoring in the sense of them providing it to us or finding a training that's out there and say, listen, I think this would really help me to gain a better insight and to maybe build up my credibility in something. Can, you know, can you fund this for me? And then let's oh, go okay. directly and, and sign up for it. I mean, we're, we're big into training. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times we, you know, as officers on the ground determine what could really benefit us. And we, you know, we will ask for that training and we'll get it from, from outside, you know, from unwitting uh, providers of training. We just pay for it.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. Now, were you ever worried about getting caught?
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of. Um, yeah, I guess it's sort of I don't maybe we, we we kind of deceive ourselves in such a way that hey, nothing will ever happen to us. We know uh-huh. that uh, there's different levels of risk. Depending on where you are and what you're doing, and whether or not you are accredited to that country. Let's say you are working as a US diplomat. I mean, a lot of us will, will from maybe a part of our career, be assigned to a country Mm -hmm. and we'll be accredited. We'll have the the black passport, okay, where we are accredited to that country. And if we are caught red handed, we can be arrested, we can be held for a while, but eventually we're gonna be declared persona non grata and sent um, back home. Uh-huh. Right, be embarrassed, yeah, of course. uh But we we're we're not going to be you know held in prison forever. We're going to be, but if we're in if if we're if we're in a country where we're not you know accredited to that country and uh-huh. we're you're involved in espionage, that black passport. I mean, if we're not accredited, we might not have any real protection. We could be we can be arrested and held in prison for a long time. And of course, if we're if, you know if we're involved in, you know in some other sort of uh, cover pretext that maybe is not quite working for the U.S. government. Maybe it's under some sort of, uh, you know, tourism cover, uh-huh. or business cover. That I mean, we 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 actually could be imprisoned and, and held for a long time. And I mean, in some parts of the world, uh, imprisonment is not the worst uh, thing that can happen to you, right? But yeah, there's always that danger. Fortunately, you know, if you look at our track record, there hasn't been that many cases of individuals. Who have been arrested and incarcerated, or you know, say worse things happen to them? Mm-hmm. There haven't been that many cases in the history of, of the organization. I just saw on Face on LinkedIn today someone was it was CIA that, that put a picture of the memorial of the stars in the Wall of Langley. Are you familiar uh, with that? The Wall um, of Honor uh, for
0: CIA? No, I'm not familiar with that.
2: You walk into the main entrance of mm-hmm. uh, CIA, and uh, on the right hand side there's this wall and there's stars of of CIA officers who lost their life in the line of duty mm. I don't I'm not sure how many you know how many it there's not, you know there's there's several hundred okay uh-huh. and some of the stars there's also a book there that will show you you know the star and, and then uh, wh- what's the name of the individual who was this the same okay individual but these are for only people that were declared having worked for the overtly for the CIA oh there's many people who died while working undercover okay because let's say that they work for the uh, the uh, U.S. State Department. That's mm-hmm. a cover. That's a cover for them. They don't, uh-huh. true, I mean, that's a cover work they do, but they're really working for the CIA. So if they die while they're undercover, their name will not be disclosed as having worked for the CIA. Oh, okay? wow. But there's actually a great book that was published a number of uh, uh, years ago by Ted Grupp, G-R-U-P, or GUP G-U-P, and it's called The Wall of Honor, and it actually looks at those stars that don't have names, and oh. he's an under, he did investigative journalism uh-huh. for the sake of really, you know, giving tribute to them and their family members for their service. He identified a lot of those people that, that don't have a name, and it gives stories about a, a, pe- things that happened to a lot of individuals, whether it's the, the wrong place, wrong time, or you know maybe a bomb went off or they uh-huh. died, or maybe they were arrested. And There were cases of individuals who were arrested and incarcerated and who died in prison. So, this book, people that might be interested in the topic, this is an excellent. Work. wow Read so about.
0: so what's maybe you can answer this maybe you can't what's the most sensitive piece of information you gathered and how much did it cost
2: oh i can't uh, i can't reveal no we can't review that but just to give you an idea i mean we have we collect information on so many different uh-huh. topics of course over the last you know years the most pressing topic has always been you know terrorism but yeah. before that you know you're, you're collecting a lot on a lot of our you know adversary countries
0: uh-huh. right
2: uh, so uh, you're always looking at collecting information that's going to help safeguard the homeland, safeguard uh-huh. the United States and its interests. So you can go anywhere from counter-proliferation to counterterrorism to information that could be uh useful in trade negotiations uh-huh. or you know uh, military potential buildup in other countries. It's, it's across the it's across the board. And there's there's uh I mean there there are different books that one can read about past, you know, uh-huh. cases of in, incredible operations one is called the billion dollar spy and i'll throw that book out there that is probably the most sensitive or most you know case that ever was conducted uh, of espionage of a source in the soviet union oh wow tremendous i mean the individual is long past uh but this book really details um a lot about the art form i would Uh say the spy craft and how sources are handled, especially very, very, very sensitive sources. Uh-huh. I can't, I can't give, I can't give you the details about specifics regarding what I, what I was targeting or.
0: I get you know, it. I get people. it. Yeah, I, and I get all the reasons why. But when you hear that. the billion-dollar
2: spies. You, I mean, you can probably infer from that that this individual probably was paid pretty close to a billion dollars over time.
0: Wow. Wow. But this
2: is, that of course is the exception rather than the norm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Now tell us, what are you doing now with the counterintelligence Institute? That's your thing, isn't it?
2: Yes. I I mean, when I retired, uh, I thought I was just going to kick back in Orlando where Uh where I'm living and just kind of enjoy life. But I don't know. I was like, I got obsessed, obsessed with uh, seeing all these data breaches that were taking place, you know? amongst all types of entities, whether they be large corporations, small and medium-sized companies, in institutes and universities, government municipalities, state governments, federal governments, and, uh, a lot of, and, and then learning that so many of these, or 90% of successful data breaches are initiated with some form of human hacking. So I said, uh-huh. man, I spent my career doing this, and I thought, let me get back into the fold. Let me see how I might be able to contribute in the sense of helping in organizations protect themselves from being, you know, victimized by human hacking. So I'm now working on, you know, kind of like on the other side in the sense of uh, using the skills that I learned, I developed uh, to breach uh, organizations, now helping organizations understand how these breach attempts take place, especially in today's world of how, you know, companies can be targeted b- with so much information that's out there on the internet, how information can be readily obtained that's useful, that presents vulnerabilities to them, and more importantly, how their insiders, I mean, how their employees, people that have unescorted yeah. access into the facilities, whether they're employees or contractors, how they still easily can be identified uh, and and uh, assessed through social media, and then even targeted through social media and other other types of mechanisms. So my, my whole uh, goal is security awareness for these organizations, because it's a I have a particular niche within this, it's cybersecurity, right? Yeah. But I'm not focusing on the, the technology that's so often we focus. cyber yeah. Cybersecurity specialists focus on the technology. I focus on the human hacking that circumvents that technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which makes those organizations vulnerable.
0: Wow, fascinating. Okay. So how can people get a hold of you? Because well, we know that they need to get this book, Confessions of a Spy, of a CIA spy. That's your book. Absolutely worth the read up oh, here it is and um how, how can people get a hold of you to to train their company to do a keynote or uh, tell, oh, tell us about that
2: thank you well i add that if anybody interested in the book they where they can immediately find it is on amazon it's in paperback kindle and audio so it's readily you know you can easily find that on amazon but for for companies or individuals that are interested in, in contacting me uh I have a pretty good presence on social media, whether it's on my LinkedIn page and my name, Peter Warmka, or my website. Our, our company is called counterintelligence institute.com, which has a lot of information there with testimonials, videos, uh, sizzle reel. Um, you can send an email directly to me, pgwarmka at counterintelligence institute.com. I know it's a long, you know, but it's pretty easy to remember uh, the entire, the entire, um words counterintelligence institute well, that's that's the, probably the best way to try to get a hold of me directly is looking me up on social media by my name and, and my in my linkedin page will definitely pop up as well as my website
0: very good now okay one last tip and then i'll let yes. you go one last tip for people to protect themselves anything like that
2: oh okay well two tips i mean one of the things i always threw out there is be very careful what you post online i mean uh-huh. people hear that but they don't necessarily. You know, they don't, that doesn't really resonate. People continue to put so much information out there and they don't really use the privacy settings that they should. Um, Once that information is out there, it's out there. But really, I think what we need to be be concerned about, we're not going to be victimized when we reach out to approach somebody else for information. The danger is when that human hacker approaches us, you know, they've studied us. They maybe identified our motivations and vulnerabilities. They developed this pretext, as we talked about a little bit earlier. They can approach us via email, social media, SMS, text message, uh, a voice telephone call, or even face to face. You know, we don't know. You know, how we need, how can we trust them? Readily to trust that what they say is true. So, for if someone is approaching us who we don't know, whether you know, it's any of those channels, what we have to do is first verify before trusting them. Ronald Reagan once coined the phrase um, trust, but then verify. Yeah, In today's yeah. world of human hacking, if we trust and then li- and verify, it's too late. Mm-hmm. We've already been breached. So we need to turn that around. We need to verify, then trust. And if, we, if we've if had that at the forefront of our you know, interactions with people who are approaching us, that will pretty much save us uh, from being victimized by anybody who's using human hacking today.
0: Oh my gosh, I love it! Oh, lot a lot of work to do there with the verification, but it's possible. So, Peter, thank you so much for coming on Truth, Lies, and Cover Up. You are fantastic.
2: Thank you so much for for the opportunity, and I wish you and uh, your audience the best of luck and success. Absolutely, in the stay safe.
0: Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate, and review it. I'll see you next time.